You are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, I often think to myself, zoink, Scoob! We could not be any more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, and terrified when Amy says she has an idea, because that spells trouble. Did you actually say Zoinks Scoob? I did. What the heck is that? I tried, what is I'm, Zoinks Scoob? I, that's from Scooby-Doo. That's what Shaggy always says. Zoinks Scoob. <laughs> that was my favorite cartoon as a kid. <laughs> I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover and even maybe if you aren't. I'm also a dog collector, a Diet Coke addict. I love a good piece of pie, and I treat a good thrift store like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week, we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish topics like... Authors in the news. Recent book-to-film adaptations. Weird stuff we've Googled while reading. And our TBR count. We're glad you're here. This episode, we chat with our favorite bookseller. We actually saw her the day before Thanksgiving, Sam Miller from Carmichael's Bookstore. Each November, we let her do the heavy lifting, and she shares books that have come out and might be good choices for your holiday shopping. And some of the books that she mentions have already made it to our TBR list. So we're going to have fun with Sam this week. But first, I watched a movie this weekend while my parents were here. You know, it's sometimes hard to find a movie that my parents and Chris and I can all watch because they're sort of Hallmark movie watchers. Mm -hmm. And that is not really our, it's not really our jam. But anyway, we found one that everybody could agree on and we all loved it. It was called Coda. And we're a little late to the party here because this won an Academy Award for Best Picture Best Writing, Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actor in 2021. And it is on Apple Plus. And I think it was the first movie that has won that I think was just on a streaming service. But it is the story of a deaf family. The mom, the dad, and brother are deaf, but the teenage daughter is not. So she's the only hearing member of this family. And they live in this fishing village and a small town in in Massachusetts and it's about you know this family. It had a lot of important topics but it also was sort of uh, a feel good movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I think is interesting is the gentleman who played the father. His name is Troy Kotzer. I may not be saying his r- name right. He won the Oscar for best supporting actor and the funny thing is, he only says one word the whole movie. Hmm. He, But he was awesome. I mean, yes, he was using sign language, but even just his whole body, you know, right. he was able to to convey so much with his body language. And uh, I highly recommend it. Cool. So, you know, it might be it might be if you're looking for a, a, a movie to watch with your family this holiday season. I mean, it's not holiday at all, but, you know, it's sort of a heartwarming film. So I'd recommend it. We're still going through all the deaths on the fall of the House of Usher. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we watched three episodes yesterday. And I was like, I got to see more. I got to see how the other ones die. So, you know. How are you enjoying it? I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. I thought you would. Mm-hmm. I thought you would. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about a series that I just finished and also a book that I am almost finished with and how they sort of correlate. So one of our guests uh, recently, Katrina Monroe, she was on here to talk about her book, Graveyard of Lost Children. She's a horror writer. But when we did our segment about what are we reading, the book that she talked about was a book called Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Jillian McAllister. And so I got it on audiobook and I've been listening to it and it is so good. It is a thriller, but it's also a time loop novel. And a show that I started watching with my husband had a similar time issue going on. It's called Bodies, and it's on Netflix. And in this series, it takes place in four different time periods. It's 1893, 1943, 2023, and then 2053. And what happens is uh, four different police officers 
find a dead body in this alley in London. And it's the same body in all four time periods. And they're all trying to figure out who this guy is. And so it flips back and forth in time and they're all sort of connected. And it's a it's a time loop. Hmm. And the book, Wrong Place, Wrong Time, is a similar thing where the opening scene, a mother sees her teenage son, who she believes is a very good boy. He's a senior in high school. She looks out the well, window. He's late coming that, home. That right there. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure she knows that, you know, he's like any other teenage That's boy. That's trouble right there. He's coming home late. I think it's on Halloween night. And she's nervous about it because he's not answering his texts. And when she looks outside, she sees him stab somebody. And, I mean, she doesn't understand how her son could be stabbing somebody, especially somebody she doesn't even, she doesn't know who this other person is. And so through the whole book, she's in a time loop because she, she wakes up and she goes back in time at first day by day and then year by year because she's trying to figure out what is happening and why her son would be doing this. Mm -hmm. So it is also a time loop. So I love time travel books. And I was wondering what the difference is between a time travel and a time loop. And I looked it up because these two are time loops. Mm -hmm. And here's the difference. Time travel is one or more people are traveling forward or backward through time, usually intentionally. Whereas a time loop is where people repeat a relatively fixed period of time over and over, usually against their will. So I tend to like time travel. I'm enjoying these time loops too, but the time loops are, they're tying my brain up in knots mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. Because there's the whole thing of um, the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. Do you know what yep. the butterfly effect is? Yes, I do. So, so for people who may not know, the butterfly, uh, I guess it's called sometimes called the butterfly paradox too. It's the idea that if that a butterfly's wings might create tiny changes in the atmosphere that could ultimately alter the path of, say, a tornado or it could delay a storm. So, you know, you change one tiny little thing and it can change everything. Anyway, that is my TED Talk on <laughs> time loops and time travel. So, But you prefer time travel books. I prefer time travel, but I am enjoying both of these. I enjoyed Bodies, and I am enjoying Wrong Place, Wrong Time. In fact, Wrong Wrong Time might be my favorite book of the month that mm. I've read so far. Okay. I'm probably about 80% of the way through. So we'll see how it ends. But it is very good. And I am a little picky about thrillers because I'm often disappointed in how they end. Mm -hmm. I, and so I, obviously I haven't gotten to the end of this one. But so far, it has just been really smart and clever, and I've really enjoyed it. Cool. Well, maybe we should do an episode on time. Time. Loop, yeah, I time would love travel. to do that. That would be a good episode. Yeah. See, I think I like time loops. They're definitely a little bit more mind bendy. Mm -hmm. But time the thing loops. is, like, I think it's harder to do a time loop book than it mm -hmm. is a time travel book because a time loop book, like, I think it's easier to spot problems in a time loop book that don't make sense whereas a time travel book is a little more forgiving that might be why i like the time travel uh -huh. book. it's it's a little more straightforward uh -huh. where the time loop it makes my head hurt a little bit but i enjoy it right. but you also have to suspend disbelief right. otherwise it would just it, it would mess you up right right <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be as enjoyable you know when we talk to sam it could feel like a time loop because we do it every summer and every winter holiday shopping season. But it's it's always new. It's always fun to talk to Sam. It never feels like our brains are hurting, mostly because she does all the work. She brings all of her notes and all of her information. It never <laughs> gives us a headache. We always love talking to Sam. Hey, 
Hey, Sam, this should be muscle memory by now. <laughs> yes, yes, I think it should. <laughs> we were a little scared that we weren't going to get to talk to you this holiday season, and that would have made me so sad because part of the holiday shopping season is talking to Sam Miller about books. Well, I'm glad that we can get get it done so you can get shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined today by Miso as well. Yeah, Miso the cat is with us because we're recording this right before Thanksgiving and my daughter is home for the holiday. So... So if I'm a little more distracted than normal, it's because I'm... I know. I'm like, we need to get to the task. Yes, there's a cat wandering around. But, you know, we've got books to talk about. Books to talk about. This is the episode where we do very little. We just sit and nod and (laughs) listen to Sam tell us about all the good books that are out and available for people to buy. I can't possibly tell you all the good (laughs) books because there are too many, especially this time of year, because it's the key time of year, obviously, with the holidays. Um, But I'm here to talk about some of them, for sure. And there's lots of good choices this year, I'm happy to say. And I'm also happy to say that some of the supply chain issues we've been struggling with for the past couple of years have kind of eased up. So hopefully, there won't be a question of things running out this season. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should wait till the 23rd either, so... Shopping early is always best and sometimes more kinder to you and to the people who are waiting on you. Yeah. All right. So go. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's start with fiction. Um, There's lots of good stuff. Claire Keegan, who's one of my personal favorites, an Irish writer who had small things like these and then Foster, which of course was made into a great movie that was nominated for an Oscar. She has a new collection out. It's three previously published short stories called So Late in the Day. And it is beautiful and small, and it looks will look great on your shelf next to the other two. But I do want to warn people, the subject matter is slightly different. It's about relationships between men and women. And some of it's, one of them is kind of particularly grown up. So if you're looking for that same kind of vibe that the other two had, as far as like, maybe not people all aren't terrible, and maybe there is hope for the human race. This just has a different vibe. So please manage your expectations. It's not like Claire Keegan ever writes anything bad. She's fantastic. But it, there, it is considerably different than the other ones. So FYI on that. It, it's oh. sort of hard when, you know, all the covers sort of look similar. Yes. And, I mean, they're not a series, but you do kind of think they're going to be in a similar Exactly, which is why I'm kind of one of Miranda people when they're buying it a little (laughs) bit, just because I don't want someone to be disappointed. And I understand from a publishing perspective why you want them to look the same and all part of one piece, because they are going to look really great on your shelf because they're small and really Mm -hmm. handsome additions. But yeah, it is kind of a different vibe. So like, maybe don't give it to grandma. (laughs) <laughs> so is is i haven't read foster is that short as well yes okay okay yes she's primarily a short story writer and these new ones she's with a new publisher and that that's where they decided to package them this way and obviously it's been very successful for them my understanding is she's actually going to have a brand new work for 2024 fingers crossed so uh, but this has all been previously published things that have been repackaged by this new publisher okay uh, another one to watch out for is Let Us Descend by Jessamine Ward, who's, of course, won the National Book Award twice. This Let, Let Us Descend is essentially Dante meets the world of slavery. So you have the Inferno. So there's lots of classical allusions for your English majors who like to flex those muscles. Uh, and also, like, obviously, she's got the cred, so it's out there. But it's obviously very serious material, so not a light holiday read by any means. This was an Oprah book pick, too, I think, yes. in her book club. Um, also, Fraud by Zadie Smith is out. We have lots of Zadie Smith fans on our staff. Basically, it's just historical fiction. It's based on a true case where a lower-class butcher claims that he's the rightful heir to an estate. And then there was a big trial. And so th- th- this book is based on that. Um, and also, Charles Dickens is a, a minor character. So all you Dickens fans might appreciate his guest-starring appearance. We're talking and we're loving on me. So. <laughs> See, I know. This is, a, this is a good test. He's going from person to person. Um, also, Ken Follett, for maybe dads and grandpas and other historical fiction fans, has a new one. Uh, and it's a big brick. So people who like big books, that's a good one, too. It's called Armor of Light. It's about the whirling Jenny, which is a machine that helps power other machines. So it's like, I'm not going to explain it very well. <laughs> we might need to look this up and then come back to this. <laughs> okay. But it basically, it's like a an early engine. Okay. And then the way he normally does, he delves deep and it's 
you know, huge the way he all of his books are. And it's part of his series that started with the one about the cathedral, of course, Pillars of the Earth. But it, it, you don't have to read them in order because they're set in different parts of time and they don't have the same characters. They're all part of his overreaching series about history, but it's not like, oh, I haven't read the other one, so I can't read this one or I can't gift this one. It's not like that. Hmm. The Pillars of the Earth, I yes. enjoyed it. I haven't read any of the other ones just because they're so darn big. They are big. Yeah. Uh, a couple others that I wanted to mention, also for redo for famous books, uh, Julia by Sandra Newman is out, and it's the other side of 1984. It's Julia's version. If you remember, Winston from 1984 has oh. an affair in the book with a woman named Julia who's kind of enigmatic and mysterious. This tells Julia's story. So it's kind of 1984 from another perspective. Oh, 1984 neat. by George Orwell. Correct. Well, I'm teaching 1984 Oh, that sounds like one you were going to read. So, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that one piqued my interest. Well, and it's interesting because if you remember your 1984, and I had to reread it for a book club in the past couple of years, she's not in it very much. Winston projects things onto her, but we really don't see her side at all. So it's kind of rich for the author could do whatever she wanted. Uh, And then one more I wanted to recommend or at least mention is one called Reformatory. It's by Tanner of Dew. And she has written lots of other books, but this is, I think, the one that's going to really catch people and hopefully kind of kick her up to the next level. It's like the Nickel Boys, Colson Whitehead's book from a couple years ago about a Boys Reformatory in Florida, but this one has a supernatural element. So for people who enjoyed Nickel Boys and also like horror, or maybe just like horror, this might be a good way to get into that world through a different door. Hmm. Interesting. That one sounds good. All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm I'm putting Julia <laughs> on and I, I really want to read the Let Us Descend. But I've still got a book that I bought myself last year at Christmas that I haven't read yet which was Leech. Why do I do this? Why do I buy them? And then they sit there and it drives me crazy. It doesn't drive her crazy. (laughs) Well, I think social media would say that they're two different things. Enjoying reading a book is one thing. Enjoying buying and having a book is a different thing. That's true. And sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't overlap. That's true. But I personally, as you guys know, am a total mood reader. So there are things in my to be read stack that have been there a while just because... It's like, oh, nope, not your time yet. Not, not your time yet. Oh, you're the lucky winner. <laughs> um, so moving ahead to mystery, mm. a couple that I, I'm kind of interested in. Uh, one is Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand. I'm really yeah. keen to, to read this one. It's a new novel that takes place in the same mansion as Shirley Jackson's The Haunting. And I'm a huge Shirley Jackson fan. I think she's the OG as far as horror is concerned. So I've read things by Elizabeth Hand, and I've really liked them. And I think this was sanctioned by her family, yes. right? Or not Elizabeth Hand's family. Shirley Jackson's, too, but yes. <laughs> Shirley Jackson. You meant Shirley Jackson's, yes. yes. Shirley Jackson has two children, and both of them had a hand in both reading it and then, like, giving a thumbs up for oh. her to publish it to make it clear that it is the same house from The Haunting. Oh. So nice. it's not just, like, an illusion that you can pick up if you're familiar with Shirley Jackson's work. It is... Like, it has the stamp of approval, as Amy mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. No, I'm very keen to read it. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one called West Heart Kill by Dan McDorman, who is a director TV person. This is his debut novel. And it's very meta. So if you like a mystery that's super meta, if you're very familiar with all the tropes, he actually has a locked room murder mystery happening, but then kind of breaks the fourth wall and is commenting on see how this happens, and then kind of breaks down how mysteries work at the same time the mystery is unfolding. So I could see where that could totally piss some readers off and they'd be like, (laughs) want no part of it. But if you are that kind of reader that has a curious mind and are familiar with all those tropes, or if you're buying for someone who is, that might be a really great gift Hmm. because it kind of approaches the locked room in a new and fresh way, which is hard to do because that form's been around a long time. And it's gotten increasingly popular again yes i feel like it i has. wonder if that would be good for somebody who hasn't that, read a lot that, of mysteries that's a good point carrie like it, yes it could be your primer to right. how this all works right huh although it, it seems incredible to me that you could have a reader that would have no idea because as amy said like the the form is coming back around as far as popularity yeah like lucy foley yes has exactly he's very popular hmm. ruth Ware. yeah they're essentially mm-hmm. that's what they like to do is locked room mysteries set in the present so mm-hmm. And movies, too. But yes, you're right, Carrie. It could be a good primer for somebody 
if they're that kind of reader who'd be like, oh, this is very interesting. And then maybe they'd circle back and read the classics. Right. Another one that's out for the holidays, uh, Janice Hallett, who is the author of The Twyford Code and The Appeal, has a new Christmas-specific one called The Christmas Appeal. And then this one, a dead body is found in the community theater, but the show must go on. (laughs) So it'd be really good. It'd be a really good grandma book or someone who enjoys a mystery, but not like a dark thriller or any kind of serial killer action. But uh, and it's also set during the holidays. And many times people, as we know, like to read something holiday-ish around the holidays. Very good. I've seen that one and I, that one's on my list. Yeah. My understanding from the staffers that have read her books, like she has a very graceful style of writing and leaning into the puzzle aspect of the mysteries. So if that's definitely a specific kind of mystery reader, if that sounds familiar to you, that might be a good gift for somebody. Nonfiction, uh, a couple that I'm looking forward to or looking forward to putting people's hands. Stalking Shakespeare is out. It's by Lee Durkee. It's a, a down and out writer searching for an, the authentic Shakespeare portrait. There are many pictures that people think might be Shakespeare, but obviously there's some question about was Shakespeare really Shakespeare? Was he someone else? So this person is using all the free time they're having because their life has fallen apart (laughs) to try to find an actual authentic Rather than just eating cheese. Exactly. (laughs) They might be doing that too. I think I might have put this one on my list. Talking like S-T-A-L-K? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. As opposed to... I don't know. (laughs) S T O C K stocking uh, okay or S T O C K I N G but it'd be fun for fans of Shakespeare or yeah. for it, it sounds like it leans as hard into the I'm a little lost in my life and that at the right time if you get that person that right book at the right time that can mm-hmm. really be meaningful too mm. uh, another one that I actually have read was called They Flew it's by Carlos Ayer uh, he was the author of the book. Waiting for Snow in Havana, which was nominated for a bunch of big awards a couple of years ago. This book is perhaps the weirdest book I've read this year for sure, maybe in the past couple of years, because it's on levitation and bilocation. So he's examining these historical records of these, whether they be witches, whether they be saints. What he's doing is very interesting because he's an historian. So instead of arguing the point, did this really happen or not, which is going to talk about you're going to touch on faith, a lot of these, especially the ones that are involving saints that do these things. He just examines the historical record, compares it to the historical record of other things that actually are confirmed to have happened in history at that same time, and he draws his conclusions that way. He doesn't touch on faith at all. He's just comparing apples to apples as far as historical accounts, and his conclusions are very interesting to me. So if you're a history buff or you have a historian on your list, this was might be very interesting. It's very off the beaten path and kind of a weirdo <laughs> book, but he's a terrific writer, so it's not dry at all. Okay, a couple things to say about that. First of all, Carrie, we should have a category weirdest book like on our on our uh, we probably year should. end we, wrap up. Second yeah. of all, I have been levitated. I was a college student and Penn and Teller came to do a show Ooh. at Uh, my college, and they chose somebody from the audience to come up on stage, and I was that person, and they had me lay on this, felt like a piece of sheet board or something that was being held up by two chairs, and then from the audience, it looked like they took the thing out, and it looked like I was levitating. At the time, I had very long hair, and that might have been why they picked me, because Oh, because the, the hair would fall. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, like fountain down. Right, right, right. right. Uh, of course, I couldn't tell what was going on. But anyway, that makes me think of that story about when I was mm, levitated wow. by Penn and Teller. That and is, my, that's a good story. I know. Not on me. I know. So anyway. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> Another one that I have read and enjoyed is called Wild Girls, and it's by Trya Miles. It is... A very small book. It's part of a new series from the publisher of very short nonfiction. In it, she examines some 18th and 19th century historical women and how their tomboy backgrounds and or time spent outside influenced them to become the trailblazers that they were. Because by being tomboys or being outside, they were already outside of the norm for women of their time. They so had a measure of independence exactly. that they wouldn't have been if they were... You know. Inside the house sewing. Exactly right. Yeah. So she's talking about like Louisa Alcott. She's talking about Harriet Tubman. So 
obviously sometimes there, there were differences as far as like why someone was outside. It's like being outside because you're a slave is obviously very different than because you're a tomboy. But she, it's, it was a very interesting thought piece. And I had never considered that, even though I've read lots of things about these women. And so I thought it was a really interesting way for a little book to hold together because mm-hmm. – like I said, it, it, you know, it, it, that perspective had never occurred to me. So if you have like a young budding feminist on your list, mm-hmm. that might be a really good mm-hmm. gift suggestion. Yeah. And then one more I wanted to talk about The Comfort of Crows by Margaret Rankle. I love Margaret <laughs> Rankle. I don't have that one yet, but I want to, I want to get it. Um, she's one of my Monday morning comfort reads. Well, sometimes it's not comforting, actually. But she has an opinion column every Monday in The New York Times because she lives in Tennessee outside of Nashville. She frequently writes about the natural world and uh, what's going on with our relationship with it. So this is a collection of essays that she wrote, some of which are expanded versions of some columns. I read her very first book, Late Migrations, really, really enjoyed it. This one I have uh, lusted after. I've been in the store and looked at it, and it has lovely illustrations in it that were done by her brother. Yes. And so it's, it's a gift book in the fact that not only does it have these wonderful essays about about nature, but it also has beautiful illustrations in it. So it kind of feels like a gifty book. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those nice things, too, if you're perhaps gifting to somebody who doesn't read a ton or – because it's something you can just dip into. You don't necessarily have to read it cover to cover. It's just a collection of essays. I say that as if that's nothing. Uh, <laughs> it is a collection of essays, so you could just, you know, have it on your coffee table and dip in occasionally or, you know, in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I liked about Late Migrations, it was about nature, but but it also tied back to, like, things she was going through in her yes. own life with aging parents. So it, it's sort of creative nonfiction in, in yes. that way. She yeah. excels at that. And frequently it'll be items from the news, but also, like, what she's seeing out the window. And she kind of braids them together in a really beautiful way often. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely a, a great gift for Christmas. One I love to talk about because, uh, as you guys know, it's my favorite book and I have the tattoo. (laughs) The graphic novel version of Watership Down is out. (laughs) And I can say, from a true fan's perspective, they did not mess it up. Oh, good. I was was looking through this the other day when I stopped into Carmichael's. Um, Obviously, when someone makes a new adaptation of something that you hold dear, Mm -hmm. it's always like, please don't mess it up. And they did a great job. The illustrations are beautiful. They're very pastoral, which I appreciate. Unlike the Netflix series, which was computer generated, which was trash. (laughs) And they did a really great job of adapting it. So like my favorite scenes were all present because I was also worried that some of my favorite scenes or lines might have gotten cut because obviously you have to cut a lot Mm -hmm. for a graphic novel adaptation. My only, my only, I hate to even bring it up because I like it so much and I think (laughs) they did such a good job. But I will say that Lord Frith, who is, of course, in the rabbit mythology, the sun, looks a little bit like the Teletubby son. Oh! <laughs> and I'm a little, uh, that's a little unfortunate. But other than that, it gets my highest marks. It would be a great gift for a kiddo who hasn't read Watership Down yet, or maybe someone who's loved Watership Down since they were little, like me, and would appreciate a new adaptation. So when you say young, like, wh- what age are you thinking this? My history with Watership Down is I discovered it in the school library at St. Margaret Mary when I was in eighth grade. And at St. Margaret Mary, you could check out a book for two weeks and then you had to bring it back. Almost entire eighth grade year, I would check it out for two weeks and then I would bring it back for one. Then I would check it out for two weeks and I'd bring it back for one. <laughs> and finally, my dad took pity on me and bought me a mass market copy at the used bookstore that used to be in St. Matthew's. And I still have that used copy held together with a rubber band. I also have a nicer edition. And now I have the graphic novel, but... It's great because like a lot of the British stories that were originally told aloud to children, like The Hobbit, for example, we're dealing a lot of archetypes, which gives it a gravitas that your average story told to children doesn't have because the rabbits are all archetypes. Mm. So if you hit it at the right age, like eighth grade for me, when you're kind of questing in your mind, like, what kind of person am I? Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a leader like Hazel? Am I going to be a storyteller like Dandelion? Am I a mystic like Fiverr? That, I think that is why it hit me so hard at that time, because that was where I was at as a youngster. So I think, you know, middle school is a great time to introduce people to Watership Down. Mm-hmm. I, it, I think it's a great read anytime because it's one of the great quest stories. And often it's overlooked because people are more familiar with other ones. Um, and also it does have a reputation because there is some violence. Mm-hmm. And, and the original adaptation for the movies apparently traumatized a whole <laughs> generation. generation of British kiddos. 
because there's it's a quest story, so there are battles. I read it to my boys, but it's been several years, so I don't know how much they remember of it. They love graphic novels, so that might be something that give it to them as a Christmas gift, and then it sort of brings that story back. So that's that's good to know that you liked it, except for the sun. I did. Now I'm going to have to go back yes. and look at it. Yeah. I hope I'm in the store when you're looking at it again, because then I'll hear you <laughs> laugh and I'll know why you're laughing. Like, it is like the Teletubby said. <laughs> Let's see. What else do we want to talk about? There's a ton of new music books this season. So if you have music lovers or biography lovers, that might be a good gift idea. I just made a brief list of some. This is not all. But we got Dolly Parton. We got Willie Nelson. We got Lou Reed. We got Thurston Moore. We've got Madonna. We've got Britney Spears. We've got Tupac Shakur. We got George Harrison. Wow. And again, that's just a selection. Um, the Willie one I think is particularly interesting. It's called Energy Follows Thought, which is like the least likely <laughs> Willie Nelson title yeah. I could have thought of. Um, but it's really beautiful gift edition book. It has the lyrics on one side and then a story about the writing of it on the other side. And it has tons and tons of lots of great photos. And I was dipping into it just a little bit. I've not read it cover to cover, but I did read about Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground. And he talked about how people are always asking him, like, who is the woman in the song? Like, who was that woman? Who was that woman? And he always turns it around and says, everybody knows that woman. Everyone has had that woman in their life who does so much for others and is always selfless, always doing. And who is that woman to you? So, like, he never answers the question. He will never tell anybody who the original inspiration was, but wants them to think about who that person is in their own life. Hmm. There's a, a music book that I know has come out that I have heard about on a couple other podcasts, and I can't think of the name of the w- book. I, you might know the name of the book. Is this a game? Are we playing a game? <laughs> Guess what's Guess in Amy's mind. Guess what this book is, Sam. <laughs> Help me fill in the blank. But it's by um, somebody from the band Wilco. Jeff Tweedy. Well, Jeff Tweedy has yes, a new book it. out. Jeff yes. Tweedy, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But I've heard good things about that one, even if you're not a Wilco fan, because he talks about music that influenced him. But it doesn't necessarily have that much to do with Wilco. Yeah, like his previous books were about writing a song and like a little bit more guidelines for people who actually are musicians. And this one is more for the layman as far as why does a song grab us and what songs grabbed him, which in turn causes the reader to think about what songs grab them. Mm -hmm. So it is. Mm -hmm. And it's already selling very well. So Mm -hmm. I don't think this is a case of ghostwriting. I think he really writes these books and he is a good writer Mm -hmm. as well, as Wilco fans would attest, but yeah. <laughs> hopefully even non-Wilco fans would say he's a good writer. Hmm. Interesting. Well, do you have any sci-fi? I do have some sci-fi. A couple ones I wanted to mention from the sci-fi fantasy. First of all, I don't know how much you guys are up on the whole Fourth Wing and Iron Flame <laughs> saga, but I will say that we were lucky in the, at Carmichael's in that we got the copies that we ordered. Many Booksellers got shut out and or all their copies were horribly damaged and or defective. Knock on wood, we lucked out in that the copies that we got were in fairly good shape and we were able to have our release party as originally scheduled and we were able to keep our obligations as far as the pre-orders that we had taken. I would say to people listening who may have gotten burned, please know that that's not on your booksellers. Um, That was, you know, at the distributor, at the publisher, that was way before it ever it happens in your bookstore and booksellers are always wanting to uh, get those pre-orders because that helps us know how what to expect as far as sales how many to order and obviously everyone's very interested in this book based on the way that fourth wing took off but i feel like it's a little unfortunate that i think the promotion people at that particular publisher are really great at building excitement for these books but they should let the production people catch up. Mm. I understand striking while the iron is hot, but I think it's really left a bad taste in a lot of booksellers' mouths about something that should have been a big fun thing. Like, oh, dragon riding series, awesome, that has beautiful sprayed edges and stencils on the edge and a special edition. Like, these are things that booksellers should be able to celebrate. But unfortunately, many of us weren't able to because, you know, it, it's no fun to have, be yelled at by a disappointed customer mm-hmm. when it's not your fault, especially. Right. Well, and they had a, n- a new edition come out of Fourth Wing that was sort of like a special edition. Yes, it's a Hunter. special holiday edition that has a red cover instead of a black cover and a holiday chapter. Mm. Oh, okay. And I think that the third one might be coming out in April yes. or next Like year I said, sometime. it's very, very brisk clip for books when mm. you think about how long a book takes to make. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that goes smoother than Iron Flame did. Fingers crossed. But 
for your readers who are interested, we have copies and, you know, hopefully the, the crisis will calm down a little bit before your holiday giving. And if you have people on your list who would like that or you would like that, you're, we'll be able to get them. But there are other things going on in sci-fi and fantasy besides that. Local favorite Alex Harrow has a new book, yeah. Starling House, which we're very excited. We love her at Carmichael's. Uh, and we love her dad, too, because he's her big number one fan. So every time we host her, he is always bringing treats and, you know, sort of paving the way for a ex- successful event. <laughs> um, another one I wanted to mention that's been popular for us and is a great comfort read, Travis Baldro mm-hmm. has a sequel called Bookshops and Bone Dust which is a sequel to Legends and Lattes. And this one, an orc who's down on their luck, opens a bookstore. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, comfort and uh, twee fun ensues. <laughs> so we're selling lots of it. Uh, it really strikes a good chord as far as people who like a little fantasy, but also like a little comfort. Mm. I have heard that. I have a copy of the first one, and I'm just waiting for the right time. When I'm feeling <laughs> in an orky mood... <laughs> I'm a mood reader like you, Sam. I gotta be in an orky mood. <laughs> well, it's funny that it, it seems like a weird combination. Like, how does this actually gonna play out? But it's actually really great. And may he keep writing many more and keep pleasing people. Mm-hmm. Well, and the covers. I mean, he's he's not like he's not like a Mordor orc. I mean, yes, exactly. You know, he's yes. he's more approachable. <laughs> yes, orc. very he's more well. approachable. Orc. Yeah. <laughs> One would hope for the success of his bookstore, right? Um. So yes, there is joy to be had in for sci-fi and fantasy too. People often want to give cookbooks this time of year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention a couple. Jose Andres, the gentleman who has the World Central Kitchen, who, if you're unfamiliar with their work, they go into disaster areas and feed people like the next day. Like they're yeah. very on the ground. He actually has his very first cookbook, which is great. And all the profits are going to their relief efforts. So if you'd like to give a Christmas gift that or a holiday gift that gives to then that would be a good selection. Also along that line, we also have one uh, from Feed Louisville, which is a local organization on the ground here, that they have a cookbook called Every Cook, Every Kitchen, which is just a very small uh, paperback, and it has the most basic recipes, so like baked beans or Mm. chicken noodle soup. So it would be a great gift for like a college kid Mm. or someone who's like a, a cooking novice. And again, all the proceeds help their efforts in Louisville to feed the homeless and hungry. So... Again, another good gift suggestion. My husband might get that in his. Like, <laughs> Learn to cook, fucko. <laughs> it's definitely very basic. Like, can you boil water? Okay. okay. Well, that's what he needs. This is the book for you. That's what he needs. Um, as far as some local stuff I wanted to mention, Kevin Gibson, the local historian who's had many books, has a new one out called Oldest Louisville. So that would be a great gift for uh, perhaps um, especially some older family members who might remember and give directions like where the old Sears building oh, is yeah. or you turn left where Hasenauer's used to be. <laughs> this is ideally the book for them. Also, David Jones, who was, of course, the founder of Humana, has uh, a biography written by local writer Bob Hill, who wrote for the Louisville Times for a million and one years and has lots of good books under his own name. It's called Always Moving Forward, and it's selling like crazy, obviously, because all the Humana folks want to have it, and then they want to give it to their Humana friends, and then... We've heard about lots of mini reunions that have happened where people buy a bunch of copies, they have the mini reunion with the people they used to work with, and then they share the book. Hmm. Also, Byron Crawford, who wrote for Kentucky Monthly and has been a television reporter, sort of a la Andy Rooney, if you're not familiar with his work. He has a new collection of his Kentucky Living columns called Backpage, which should strike Kentucky lovers just right for the holidays. And also, Richard Taylor, who's the former Kentucky Poet Laureate. He has a new book called Fathers, which is a memoir about growing up in Louisville and takes place a lot in Crescent Hill, where my home store is. And then one more I wanted to mention that has a local connection. Uh, Photographer Shelby Lee Adams has a new book out. Are you all familiar with his work? Mm -mm. He's originally from Hazard, Kentucky. Um, He hasn't lived there for some time, but he's spent the last 40 plus years going back every summer and photographing people who live in the hollers there. So he has built up relationships with many of these families. He is photograph them through multiple generations. And he has a new collection of workout called From the Heads of the Hollers, which are some older photographs that he's getting on in years and was fearful that if he didn't print them and publish them now, that they might not ever be printed or published. Um, so it's kind of a greatest hits or, you know, blast from the past. Mm-hmm. And at my side hustle, I work at the Paul Paletti Gallery as the, the gallery assistant there. We hosted Shelby Lee Adams for a show this fall. 
it was very cool because he has a photograph in the show and in the book of a young family, a mother and father and a baby. And then as I was setting up for the event, this group of three women came in and they were very early. I hadn't even put any cheese out. And so I said, (laughs) you know, are you here for the event? And then they walked up immediately to the photograph and they pointed and the one woman said, that's me. I'm the baby. They'd come from Bowling Green. She brought her granny and her sister. and But they had not met or seen Shelby since the original photo was taken. And she's in her 30s now. Wow. So it was a great time because, like, they approached him as soon as he walked in the door. And he was blown away that she would make that trip and that reconnect with him. So it felt like uh, a win, even if we didn't have anybody else come to the event, that they could make that connection again. Especially because, sadly, the mom in the picture had passed away in the Kentucky flooding. So it was like she wasn't just coming to see him, like she was coming because her mom couldn't. But anyway, his photographs are really striking, a really stark portrait of the poverty there. Um, Sometimes controversial because some people feel like, who maybe don't know the story or maybe don't know that he's from there, sort of feel like it might be a little torture porny, a little, you know, outsider looking in. But that's not the way I feel about it especially if you're familiar with his history, or especially if you read the whole or go through the whole books, sometimes what gets shown in galleries are some of like the most stark or most bleak because they tend to be, if you only get to pick a few, those are the ones that are most striking. And sometimes I've heard criticism of his work, like these people don't ever make jokes or have joy or, you know, laugh. But there's lots of photographs in the new book where you can see that people have joy and they are laughing and they are enjoying things in life, though things might be harder there in some ways. Mm. Can I mention a book? I believe it's your show. <laughs> well, this is a book that I'm excited for. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out till January, but it's it's a book by former Kentucky Poet Laureate and author Crystal Wilkinson. Um, but she has a book coming out mid-January called Praise Song for the Kitchen Ghosts, Stories and Recipes from Five Generations of Black Country Cooks. And it's part memoir, part cookbook. But what I read on her Instagram was that if you pre-order it, you can get a signed, maybe not signed, a postcard or a letter or something from her that has one of the recipes on it. And you could give that to a family member that they could, or a friend that they could unwrap. And then the book will come in January. But I'm super excited uh, um, about this book because I love a foodie memoir and I got a little postcard from her when she was at the Louisville Book Festival that had her recipe for biscuits on it that I would like to try. So anyway, that's also sort of a local. Yes, absolutely. Not necessarily local. I mean, it's being published by Random House, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, But, you know, it has some local interest as well. Of course. mm -hmm. Another good segue for to say, you know, pre-orders are always a great idea. Maybe the perfect book for somebody on your list doesn't come out till 2024. We're happy to do a pre-order. And then you could wrap up, you could buy a gift card for that amount. You know, you could print out the page and wrap that up so they could have something to open. But yes, sometimes the timing of the world doesn't always work with our gift giving schedule. So Mm -hmm. any local bookseller worth their salt will be able to work with you and try to figure out a creative way for you to do give that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of nice because they get to open something right. at Christmas, but then they have this nice little surprise in yeah. January yes, exactly. when, you know, the holidays are mm-hmm. long over and everybody's depressed and, you know, whatever. <laughs> January blues. January, yeah. yeah. <laughs> A little brightness to come in your mouth. That's right. Yes, that's exactly. Right. That's right. All right. I think we need to take a short break because I need to check on the cat because he's been knocking things over while we're recording. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about what we are reading. We're back (laughs) with Gary and with our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller. And, I, you know, we're all reading something. Mm -hmm. What or you, have read something. Or have read something. What are you reading, Carrie? Well, uh, this is a book that I finished a little while ago. I was taking a graduate class, so my, my reading life has been suffering the last six or seven weeks. But this is a book that I love the title. It's called Lewis Sinclair and the Gentleman Cowboys by D.M.S. Thick. Now, I will say I have a, a cousin in Atlanta who is in a band, and the band is called 
Gentleman Jesse and His Men. And so... Oh, so this kind of reminded so this, you of that? Yeah. So the title of this book reminded me of my cousin's band. So I was interested in reading it. And it's a mystery. So I don't read a whole lot of mysteries. Uh, so I was interested in that. So this mystery follows Lewis Sinclair and his band, the Gentleman Cowboys, who are performing at a music festival. Lewis's musician girlfriend has just dumped him, and his band is none too happy with their smarmy manager. He's a real piece of work. But fortunately, they don't have to worry about what a crappy manager he is for very long because he soon ends up dead with his head in cement on the Walk of Fame where musicians typically leave their handprints. So Lewis and his crew are now both performers and suspects. So this is a great cozy mystery, especially for music lovers. So if you love mysteries, I think you'll like this. But also if you're a music lover who would kind of like a little bit of a backstage pass into the nuts and bolts of a music festival, this provides it. So I highly recommend it. Lewis Sinclair and the Gentleman Cowboys by D.M.S. Vick. All right, Sam. Well. I'm going to take a page from Amy's book and talk about a book that doesn't come out till next year. Because <laughs> that's one of the perks of being a bookseller is that you get advanced reader copies from publishers with the idea that they'll do what I'm going to do, which is talk about it early. So people will be building excitement for this book to come out. It's not at all appropriate for the holidays, though. So uh, <laughs> FYI about that. Unless the person you're buying for loves true crime and dark memoirs, mm. like I do. Uh, it's called Rabbit Heart. It's by Kristen S. Irvin. The subtitle is A Mother's Murder, A Daughter's Story. So it's about her mother's murder, which was unsolved, and how it was essentially an earthquake in her life. And she's still dealing with aftershocks even now, many, many, many years later. And how she went on a journey that wasn't a pleasant one because she kind of felt like she was free-falling after the loss of her mother and you know made some bad decisions and did some things that she might have otherwise not have done without that loss. So it's really poignant, and it kind of strikes both – it's true crime and also, you know, memoir. So if you like either of those, this is kind of a twofer. I think it will do for motherless daughters what James Elroy's My Dark Heart did for mm. motherless sons. Mm. I also kind of compare it to Michael Gilmore's uh, Shot in the Heart. He was, of course, Gary Gilmore's brother. He wrote for Rolling Stone for many, many years, and his memoir is about how his brother – you know, was a murderer and then, you know, got in the news for the way he chose to be executed. There's a famous Norman Mailer movie and book about that. But how, like, the family was never right. The effects are still felt. And this is the kind of true crime that I'm very interested in. I'm less interested in the pretty dead girl mm. and interiority of a serial killer and how they're portrayed as geniuses or supermen or whatever. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in, you know, how these people lives are ruined and changed by these things happening and how through writing about it, maybe they're able to come to a little bit of, if not comfort, at least, you know, a little bit of growth about learning how to live with it. Like things will never be right again, but maybe they're better able to live with it. Mm -hmm. But it's a terrific book, beautifully, stunningly written. It comes out next year. I'm happy to pre-order it for you if that would be <laughs> of interest. But yeah, it it kind of would have been – had it come out this year, it probably would have been my book of the year, but oh. it doesn't come out till next year. So we'll have to see what 2024 brings as far as other reads. It comes out on March 27th. Okay. Well, I want to know what has been your book of the year. Well, I ended up going with Tom Lake, which I talked about in the springtime. It's Ann Patchett's latest. And I actually reread it, and I liked it just as much the second time because mm -hmm. it strikes a lot of different – it's romance, it's family story, it's a pandemic story, it's – there's lots about theater and lots of extra Easter eggs, if you're familiar with the uh, other materials that she's referencing, which are the Cherry Orchard and Our Town. So that's ended up being my book of the year. There was a considerable jockeying for the Heaven and Earth grocery store, the mm -hmm. James McBride, which so many of us at the store loved. But we kind of felt like we wanted to not all, you know, seven or eight of us pile on that, <laughs> maybe go with a second choice so we mm -hmm. could like highlight more books, especially in the catalog, instead of seven or eight of us piling on the same title. Right. It's so hard to pick. It is hard. hard. Yeah. Except when it's not. I mean, yeah. sometimes some years you have it where you just like it's, you know, going to be one of your heart books that you're going to love forever. Yeah. And that comes out and then it's like easy and you're like, oh, of course it's this. But some years, yeah, it's a real struggle of I read a lot of good things, but which one will it be? Right. Right. 
All right. Well, Amy, well, you, I, you've already started into your Christmas. I noticed on Goodreads. It's not even Thanksgiving. I know, but You're... the thing is, because normally I don't start until after Thanksgiving, but then I only get like two holiday books in. So I started a little Which earlier is this like year. Too too many for me. I know. <laughs> well, now actually, you get a two for this week because I'm okay. actually going to talk about two books, but they both they deal with the same subject matter. But it's for two different kind of readers. The first one you might actually like because you might be the kind of reader for this. Okay. They are holiday reads. The first one is called The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, Rescued His Career and Revived Our Holiday Spirits by Les Standiford. This is a fairly short book, but it, you know, it's a little wonky. It's kind of for literature lovers, English majors, people who love Charles Dickens. It is about Christmas in that it, you know, he talks about a Christmas carol and about how it sort of revived his career. He was like the superstar author of the time. He had like one big, super popular book that sold so many copies. But then each subsequent book he wrote was was selling less and less. And he owed a lot of money to people. And so in order to sort of revive his career, he decided he had this idea for this Christmas ghost story. And his publisher actually wouldn't even publish it because his last book hadn't done well. So he self-published it. He self-published A Christmas Carol. But what's interesting about it, too, is you get a lot of insight into, like, what the publishing business was was like then. You get some insight into what the Christmas culture was like because uh, Christmas wasn't as big at that time as it is now. And this person's theory is that the Christmas Carol uh, became so beloved that it actually increased Christmas. Well, the Victorians invented many of the Christmas traditions that we think of as standard. The the Christmas tree. They sort of brought it over, you know, from Germany. Yes. But before that, it was, I mean, it wasn't that people didn't celebrate Christmas, but it was a much smaller. They didn't start in October. Yeah, it was a much smaller deal. So I actually found this book fascinating. Again, it's not going to be for every reader because it is, it's, you know, it's a little in the weeds. I think you might actually Yeah, that, that like actually it. sounds like a Christmas yeah. book that I, I would I think find. that you would like it. But if you're interested in the subject of what I'm talking about, but don't want to read a nonfiction book about it, there's a book I read last year called Mr. Dickens and His Carol by Samantha Silva. And this is a uh, a fictionalized version of the story that I just told you about Dickens going broke. He has a wife. They, they're they getting ready to have their fifth child. He has a father who is sort of a, a deadbeat and is constantly doing stupid things and needing money from his son. Anyway, it's sort of the fictionalized version, but a little happier, you know, in the way that a, a holiday story can be. I enjoyed it very much. So if you're a Christmas Carol fan... Uh, I would recommend both of those, depending on if you like nonfiction or fiction. Cool. Uh, We're going to be back uh, in just a few minutes with Sam, and we're going to try something new with her. But before we do, we're going to have a five-star read from book lover Casey in Aurora, Colorado. My last five-star read had to be... 12 Months to Live by James Patterson and Mike Lupica. James Patterson is my all-time favorite go-to thriller slash mystery author that keeps me entertained and on the edge of my seat. 12 Months to Live is about a lawyer who finds out that she has cancer and she is fighting for her life and fighting for the biggest case of her life. When I'm in a reading slump, James Patterson is the author that I absolutely know that I can turn to that will get me out of the slump that I am in. Okay, we're going to try something new, Sam. So I was at the uh, the Middletown branch of the Louisville Free Public Library the other day. They must have young, hip librarians over there because they are always doing fun displays and things. But they had a display the other day as I was going in to check out a book that I had on hold. And the display was called Explain a Book Badly. So basically, they take a book 
and they describe it in a non-conventional way, something that's not completely obvious and maybe only takes, you know, a small part of the plot and amplifies it. But it's funny. Yes. I'm going to give you an example. I posted this on, on social media, but for those who don't follow us on social media. So here's an example of one. So for Catcher in the Rye, this was the bad explanation. Do you love the word phony and wandering aimlessly? Man, are you in for a treat? <laughs> so that's the example, you know, sort of kind of making a, a, a pithy, funny description of a book that even if you haven't read, you kind of you kind of know what it's about. So I thought it would be fun if maybe we each described a book badly. So I actually wrote one that I put on that post that I liked very much. Mm-hmm. None of the ones I did today I don't think are as good. The one that I did the other day was, was a description of, um, well, I'll just read it. Outdated sewer system causes mass panic in Maine town. And it, and it was describing it by <laughs> Stephen King. And I liked that very much. We had a friend mm-hmm. who posted Hers one. Hers was very good. Uh, she posted, two kids bug their neighbor while their attorney father is trying to work. To Kill a Mockingbird was the name of that one. So I'm wondering if you all can describe a book badly. Yes. Okay. Tell tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Okay. Uh, Now, this is not like a classic. Okay. So weird people live in an old house and need to call a fumigator for fungus. Mexican Gothic. Yes. <laughs> we just read that one. We just read that one in, in book club. And uh, yeah. I think that good. sums it up. That, that pretty much sums yeah. it up. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Two people died because no one checked for a pulse. Died. Two people died because nobody checked. I don't know. It's Romeo and Juliet. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that one's very good. I like that one. I'm going to use it. But that it's one. also kind of in, I think originally the memes online and on Instagram and TikTok may have started with movies, but then it kind of immediately, the book people immediately took over and started. Mm-hmm. So you can mm-hmm. find lots of, some bad ones admittedly too, but there's lots of uh-huh. good ones online too. I, I do have another one that okay. I thought of. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can, I didn't write it down. So man dresses in drag to get a girl to like him. I mean, I feel like <laughs> it could, any, any number of Shakespeare plays, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Jane Eyre. Does he dress in drag? Rochester. Oh, I forgot that. As a gypsy woman. Okay. I remember. To... You might have to be like, I know, in see, the weeds for right, Jane Eyre. Right, to... right. But maybe well, that's why and, that, and that's like... why it's kind of a, like, if you do something that's too... Uh, like a title that's not widely read, it's hard for general yeah. the yeah. general population or to play if along. You pick a really obscure like like that. People yes. don't think about that. Like right. if you said something like um, something about the wife in the attic, right, then people right. are going to get like, that one every yeah, time. Yes. There. But if you talk about how he dresses up as a gypsy, you know, people are like, I don't even did that happen in that? Yes, like I did. just said, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did that happen? So this okay. one is more of like a classic. Sisters fighting over their mother's attention, even to the point of death. I know this one. I don't know. Little women. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played. How about this one? Okay. The proper English girl's guide to experimental substances and making new friends. Oh, gosh. Okay. Say it one more time. The proper English girl's guide to experimental substances and making new friends. Is it a classic? It is. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Oh, that's a good one. That I like that one. one. I, I like not write that one, but it is a good one. That okay. is a good one. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Sam, it has been a pleasure, as always. Thank you. Having, We're always so glad to see you, on. Sam. I'm glad to see you guys. Ditto. <laughs> okay. Until, until summer reading. Okay. Okay. If you would like to check out Carmichael's Bookstore's Holiday Book Gift Guide, you can find it online at their website at carmichaelsbookstore.com. 
for show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. To send us a message, go to our website and click the contact button. Thanksgiving is over. And so now, you know, we're talking about holiday giving, whether it be books or whatever. You know, if you want to give Amy the greatest (laughs) gift there is, you should leave us a great review on your favorite podcast platform and then email Amy and let her know about it. She will be so happy. You'll just make her entire holiday season and she'll be so excited that she will, she'll send me a screenshot. I'll know about it, but I'll only be like marginally happy. Amy will be over the moon. I have a pen pal relationship going on with one of our listeners. It's kind of fun. She and I exchange book suggestions. You, you have you have relationships with lots of people. <laughs> Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org. <laughs>